Welcome to Woodbridge Wonder. Join our host, Nicole Canole, realtor and CEO of Easton Ivy Homes, as she discovers the people behind the many incredible small businesses that make up our dynamic community. Welcome back, Wanderers. I'm your host, Nicole Canole, and I'm here with the incredible Terry Quinn from Quinn's Goldsmith. Quinn's Goldsmith, Inc. has been serving Northern Virginia community since 1989. Their goal is to be the premier fine jeweler for over 30 years uh, and to provide our customers with the highest level of service, attention, and integrity. Welcome, Terry. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm fabulous, honey. How are you today? I'm great. Very, very good, thanks. So I have to tell you guys that I ended up messing up the name in the in the beginning and he just told me a very fun fact about a goldsmith can you tell our listeners what is the difference between a jeweler and a goldsmith okay uh a jewelry store is uh, they're merchants they yeah. buy and, and sell merchandise goldsmiths make things many yeah. times we make things for jewelers right um but there's many jewelers in our neighborhood in our area that um when somebody needs something mm-hmm. they're kind enough to refer them to me or they maybe uh, ask us to make it for them for their customer how incredible so you come to me i'm the source love that so yeah. me growing up my dad worked for a small business called mosley mosley's jeweler and it was a mm-hmm. it was a they had three stores in columbia south carolina and he was a jeweler my entire life and so for me it's like they did make custom rings and stuff there but it was just like my dad's a jeweler and right. so that's right. what um the kind of you know where I, I got that confused but that's incredible in fact i was reading through your bio and i want to start back in the beginning because you've been in the jewelry game since you were like on your paper route kind of situation that's right, right. Yep, <laughs> right. Sure let's, let's start back then well um when i was in fourth grade i wanted i'm the youngest of nine by the way Love and that. uh uh so my father had many times growing up had two or three jobs you know uh-huh. it was he had to provide for nine kids yeah. and my mother many times didn't have a job because she had to take care of us all. So mm-hmm. when the kids in the neighborhood started getting nicer bikes, I said to my dad, I wanted a 10-speed bike. And he said, great, get a job. And yeah. I was in fourth grade. And uh, I, I said, okay, well, w- what kind of job can I get? And he said, well, I don't care what you do, but I, I actually went and got a paper route. Mm-hmm. So I got a paper route, and I would pick up the papers after school, I'd ride my little bike, not my 10-speed. I didn't have that yet. And i uh, pick up the papers in town. And then as I was leaving town, there was this little shop, and it was called Peter Small's Goldsmith Shop. Awesome. And I would ma- watch him making things because it was a big-picture window, and he was in the window many times making things, or he'd have things displayed. And I started walking in and, and asking him, questions and he actually I even though I had four big brothers he acted like a big brother and started teaching me how to make things mm-hmm. and by Christmas time he, he and when you say things you're talking about jewelry like actually pieces of yeah but he would take he taught me how to make like weird things like uh there was a he would say get a um, root beer bottle which is a, a brown bottle mm-hmm. and that that glass the brown glass chips just like flint chips so he showed me how to take a piece of leather and a deer antler and to chip um, the bottom of a root beer bottle into an arrowhead. And he said, this is as if it was flint. It's harder for us to get flint, but this is it breaks the same way. So you chip it on one side, you flip it over and chip it on another side, and you actually can create these straight lines, and it's very sharp. 
you know? Why but it was would really a cool. jeweler or goldsmith, not a jeweler, why would a goldsmith, I'm going to get this right through this yeah, thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why would a goldsmith want to do arrowheads or things with bottles or something random like I, that? I think that it was more so the fact of, of making things that, right. you know, just, you know, it's it, the, the biggest thing is you got to think. Yeah. You know, all right, so how can I do this? What can I do? So, However, he decided to maybe he was taught that when he was younger and, and thought this would be a good lesson to show me right. how how they did it way back when even the Indians did this way back when. Mm -hmm. So that was like one of the first lessons. But he showed me a whole bunch of uh, stuff in the jewelry field. And at Christmas time, he had he said, put your hand out. And he put these sheets of gold in my hand, like mm -hmm. one sheet after another sheet. And he said, you're holding, you know thousands of dollars of gold in your hand. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I couldn't fathom the fact that he had done that. And um, he took a piece of the gold and he heated it up on a charcoal block and it melted and started spinning into a ball. Uh, it was so melting hot. It was like 2,000 degrees. Right. And he took a metal plate and he set it down on top of it and it, and it flattened it like a little pancake about the size of a dime. Mm -hmm. And he polished it and he handed it to me and he said, this is your Christmas bonus. For as a paper boy, yeah, and I was like, I have my own piece of gold. <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah. I, I mean, it was really like, uh, like, and no, I don't remember where it went. I had it for many, many, many years until one day I didn't have it anymore, and I, I didn't realize what happened to it. But it was, a, it was the start yeah. of, of, of learning how to make things and enjoying doing it. I so, bet you're gonna find it one day. It's gonna be in like in a drawer somewhere, tucked back in some closet. Somewhere. I hope so. That would yeah. be really, really cool. Yeah. So fast forward, you were able to be you're on your paper route. You would learn how to make all this cool stuff. You finally get your ten speed bike. Yeah. And where do we go from there in this journey of entrepreneurship? Uh, my dad made rosary beads for the church. Okay. And he would. It, it was one of those things. He. You didn't talk to my dad on Sundays. Uh huh. Sundays was football days. And it was his one day that he didn't work and with after church and after the family meal. Uh -huh. And he would make rosary beads while he's watching football. So you're a good Catholic Irish, like yep, Massachusetts. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Got exactly. it. I love it. So uh, so but you could have talked to him. But I, I asked him one day, I said, you know, do you get paid for that? Mm -hmm. and, and I said that because I want to make money. Uh, anything I could do because of next thing I want to buy, well, I might want to buy something. And if I can make money, maybe I can get a few dollars for doing this or that. Right. And he said, uh, he, his eyes went up in his head and looked to the left and, and said, yes. Yes, I do. And I said, how much do you get paid? Mm -hmm. And he said, if I help one person in my life, I've been paid. That's incredible. And that was what a lesson to learn Absolutely. as a child. Um, and I've taken that with me my whole life, that, yeah. that we're put on earth to serve. We're yeah. supposed to help people. So doing repairs are helping people, making people's lives a little happier by giving them a, a piece of jewelry they can have for the rest of their life. And every time they turn the steering wheel, they see a sparkle and think that the person that gave it to them or their own purchase makes them feel a little better about life. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the things that I carry with me are family heirlooms. Like I have yeah. all of my different, I don't have any jewelry on today except for my watch, but um, all of the stones and diamonds and sapphires and everything I wear is like from my grandmother, from my aunt, from my dad, from my grandfather, like all, all these different things that I wear with me or I wear almost every single day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would be devastated if something happened because I feel like I have a little piece of them with me. Right. And my day. dad, that ring right there is... My dad's high school class ring, I sized it down to a pinky so I could always wear it in okay. 1938. 
everything's worn off. Even the date, you'd really have to f- know that it says 1938 because <laughs> it's pretty beat up. Yeah. But uh, I've always worn that. And this is one of the most valuable things I own. Right. You know. Incredible. So then I got to high school, and they taught uh-huh. jewelry making in high school. My yeah. freshman year, they decided to start a jewelry making program, and they had never done it. Um, so it was, they had multiple art teachers and one of the art teachers went and did a jewelry class and talked them into buying the tools and supplies to do jewelry. Mm -hmm. And I liked it so much. I asked, could I stay longer than a semester? And I had to go talk to the principal and the principal agreed. So I actually became a student teacher. While you were in and high school, a student while I was teacher. in high school, wow. so um, and and as a student teacher, I started making things that were more, um, uh, you know, in depth than making it. You know, the traditional thing you made in this class was a spoon ring, and I'm sure all the, <laughs> I the see all families. The <laughs> can you imagine know, families and the, the setting the table for Thanksgiving and uh-huh. they're missing their favorite fork? You know, how come <laughs> we only have seven forks instead of eight or, or eleven instead of twelve? <laughs> Because they, wearing it. they were cutting, yeah. So, but I started setting stones, okay. and I would ride my bike over to another town and buy stones at this shop that sold stones and bring them home and set stones and enter them into competitions and, you know, an art, uh, when they, they had an art show. Yeah. And so it was neat to enter jewelry when everybody else was doing pictures or paintings or photographs. So, right. You know. Awesome. Okay, so high school. So you didn't, and you didn't go to college right away. You didn't open your business right away. I, I heard something about thumbing your way to, <laughs> to yeah. Alaska. On my paper, out there was a guy <laughs> that lived in Alaska, and I would, I, I would uh, talk to him about Alaska a lot, and I, because I really liked the outdoors and animals and stuff. Right. And um, so it motivated me to one day go to Alaska. Okay. And um, so when I graduated high school, there was five of us that that we were all gonna go and. Get a job working uh, in, in the fishing boats or Wait, something. Wait, like five that. of you thumbed your way across the country, or you well, just eventually went by yourself? There's so well, many questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the five went to four, down to three, down to two, down to me. Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> when it came to me, um, the last week before I left, uh, my mother um, had stopped talking to me. My father stopped talking to me. They wouldn't talk to me. They were trying to give me the silent treatment to, to try to, they were so upset that I right. was going. Right. But it was like, you know, um, being the youngest of nine, the mm-hmm. apron strings were pretty tight. Right. You know, so it was it was just I just needed to get out, grow up and and learn the value of the of life. You right. Know? Understood. So I went and uh, got up to Anchorage, Alaska. Um, but that was the final destination. Mm-hmm. I went to the unemployment office. And they gave me uh, a couple different jobs, but um, like construction and things yeah. like that. For you know, but then I I went back and said, um, you know, do you have anything else? And and they said, well, bring your bags. Where were you staying? Did you know anybody in Alaska? No, <laughs> but my my mother knew somebody from the town. Uh huh. His name was Paul Green. Uh huh. And he uh, um, he had a little house in his backyard mm-hmm. and it was a, it was like a little guest house and when i got to anchorage i went to the ymca mm-hmm. and he came to the ymca and picked me up and he let me stay in that cottage so even though house. your mom wasn't talking to you she still hooked you up right well she only wasn't <laughs> talking to me for, for just that one short amount of time uh-huh. you know uh, you know but um she just wanted me to be safe right so she yeah. contacted somebody uh, 
being the youngest of nine, mom knew everybody in town. Right. The the town, our town, my graduating high school graduating class was only 101. So we're we're talking about a very tight knit little town. Right. You know. So anyways, uh when I went back to the unemployment office, they said to bring some your luggage because you're going to be going out of town. That was all they told me. They didn't tell me anything else. So about 10 people showed up the next morning. Everybody's got their bags. And um, they put us in a, a van and take us to the airport. I still don't know where I'm going. So help me God. I really, really didn't. Right. Um, we get on a plane. And it was a double prop plane. Held about 20 people maybe. Right. And we fly uh, for about an hour and land in a horrible sandstorm. In, and we were flying into Bristol Bay. Oh. And... From Bristol Bay, then we get told we're going to be going out on a fishing boat. And they put all of us in the back of a pickup truck. Oh, my God. And we're driving from the pickup truck to a place where, uh, like a port, where they're mm-hmm. going to send in a small boat to pick us up. But we're, we're driving there with a sandstorm going on. And, you know, you're, you're, you, everybody had these little dots. And the dots were, were where your face was bleeding. Uh-huh. From the, the sand, sand hitting you in the <laughs> face, and it it was I was never never experienced anything like that. But, um, anyways, when we got to the buildings, we went in and we waited for someone to come pick us up. Nobody really knew what to expect, and um, they pick us up with this small boat and take us out to a super freighter. Mm-hmm. It was three hundred and if I remember correctly, three hundred and thirty-seven feet, so a little over a football foot long. Right, right? and um, and what happened? We worked what they call the slime line. Oh, that sounds great. The slime. <laughs> so all the fishing boats caught fish, mm-hmm. and they would bring them to us, and they had this giant vacuum about the size of a person, this mm-hmm. hose, and they dropped the hose over, and they'd suck all the fish out of the, 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 the boats that caught the fish with the nets. Right. They'd suck up all the uh, fish, and they the big giant table the fish came up on was a scale. Mm-hmm. So they'd weigh it, and they'd pay the, the fishermen right then. Right. And then in the middle of that scale was a hole, uh-huh. and the hole would drop down into the hull of the boat. And that's where we were. I knew you were going to say that. And there was about <laughs> 10 people or 15 people uh-huh. on each side of the line. Um, and the first two, one on one side, one on the other, when the conveyor belt came out, a fish would come out, and the first two people would cut the fish open. And then the next two people would take the guts out. Sent and the next, the, two people would, the next two people would, would separate the salmon eggs. And the salmon eggs were a delicacy. Mm-hmm. So the boat was an American boat, but it was run by the Japanese. Okay. So this was, we were working for Japanese people, um, they barely knew any English, but right. they were very kind, right. very nice people. But um, I was down at the end. I played football in high school and everything, yeah. so I was in good shape. So at the end, when all the fish went through the slime line and when they got to the end, you had to pack them in a, in a metal pan like a giant pan of sardines. And you flipped them back and forth, back and forth to make them fit in this pan. Mm-hmm. And they, they had to weigh 37 and a half pounds. Uh-huh. Now, if it weighed 37, fine. If it weighed 38, fine. They don't want you to be off. They want you to get as close as possible. So you take a fish out, put another one in. Take right. one out, put one in. Until you got as close as possible to 37 and a half pounds. There yeah. was a reason behind this. Okay. All right. After you got it there, you turn around and you slide it down a conveyor belt. Uh-huh. And it would go into 
a room where they would fill it with water and put it into a hydraulic freezer. And within an hour, that whole freezer would be full. Full of fish. Full of fish. <laughs> and they would turn the, the hydraulic freezer on, and it would turn them into a solid block. So the pan would come out. They'd slide it down to where they would pack it in a box. Mm -hmm. And when they flipped it over, this was a perfect square, and it weighed exactly 50 pounds. Because 37 half pounds and then the water, it weighed 50, 50 pounds. pounds. Yeah. And for some reason, that was the weight it had to be. <laughs> and then that, that conveyor belt sent the box, um, cardboard box filled with this, this sardine-packed salmon, mm -hmm. down into the bottom of the boat. Mm -hmm. And um, once a week, a super freighter would come Pick with a crane. Fish. And we were, we were processing a little over a million pounds of fish a week. So many fish in the sea. So, yeah, it's hard <laughs> to believe there's that many fish. Right. And, and there must have been a hundred. Where was it getting shipped, shipped to? Is it going back to Japan? Japan. Okay. It's going back say. to Japan. Interesting. Well, sushi yep. and the row and everything else that you were talking about. Yeah, that yep. makes sense. Yeah. So, oh, cool. So, how long did you stay on the boat? It, it was about six weeks. Okay. And you, you got room and board, and you got a whopping $5.40 an hour. Wow. That was my pay. Wait, was that just for like eight hours a day or for the entire, like for 24 hours? No. So so work was from 6 a.m. to midnight. Mm -hmm. All right. So it was 18 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And and it went, you were off on Sundays. Unless they were offloading the ship on Sunday. Right. You know? But you're off, you're, you know, you had to help offload the ship, but that was a different story. Right. So it's 18 hours a day. So it was the like first $90 week a I got, day. I got, I got um, 106 hours. Mm -hmm. So I got 40 hours at $5.40 and then 64 hours at $7.20 <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. But it was nice because when you got off the boat, yeah. you got one check. Right. It was like, well, you couldn't spend it. So it's kind right. of a great savings on program. Anything. You know, yeah. and they, 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 they did they did kind of take advantage of you. They you yeah. know, oh you had to get rubber boots, we took that out of your pay. Oh, you had to get rubber this and that, yeah, we took that. You needed mm. gloves, so we took money out for that. So they nickel and dimed you here right. and there, but at the end of the day, having four or five thousand dollars in a check, uh -huh. one check, when I hadn't seen that kind of money in the eighties. Yeah. Um, and just out of high school. So um, I went back to Anchorage, and it allowed me to get an apartment. So we, whenever we were talking about this briefly beforehand, he went to a lot. Tell them why you went to Alaska to originally, which was not to work on the fish ship. Right, I, <laughs> I wanted to go there to be a forest ranger. Yeah, and when I got there, I realized I found out that you can't be a forest ranger unless you're a police officer, because there's so few police officers. They they you're you're dubbed both. Right. You're a forest ranger, and you have the ability to arrest poachers and things like that. Well, you have to be, I think it was 19. It was either 19 or 21, and I was 18. Right. So there was no way I was going to do any of that. You know, it, it dawned on me, I guess I should have checked this before I went all that way. Yeah. Or at least had another plan. Might have been a good plan to check. But, yep. uh, but uh, you know, there was always something to fall back on, and, and I fall back on... Um, I worked in a restaurant. I, I did a lot of things growing up. Right. Anything to get the money that I wanted to do. So I was a prep cook and a cook. And, yeah. Well, you're you not know, a shy, you're not whatever. shy about hard work. No. Mm -hmm. Right. Incredible. Okay. So you decided to stay after you after your dreams are dashed and you decided to go work on a fishing boat for a little bit. Mm -hmm. You come back. You're in your own apartment. Right. And I and I was uh, I was there for about six months total. 
Got it. Um, and uh, my roommate, um, unfortunately, um, got in with the wrong crowd, uh, and that crowd was into drugs. Got it. And, you know, none of us really had a lot of friends. And one night he invited me to go to a party with him. Mm-hmm. And it was being sponsored by a cocaine dealer. Oh, no. And I was still 18 years old. And I, I didn't even, I didn't, you know, I didn't even understand what the heck was going on. Right. But within a few weeks, my roommate had basically sold everything he had. Right. Because he was probably into drugs before I before even knew, you knew it. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I just, I said, I just don't want to be in this environment. Yeah. So I left. So you left Alaska altogether, I and we yeah. left uh, Alaska altogether. Um, and being from a big family, I had family across the country. So on the way home, I stopped in Missouri and visited yeah. my brother. Did you have then, a car? How were you just taking the bus? Or uh, were you... I had a thumb. That is so wild. Like, what a different life to yeah. be able to do yeah. that and not die on the way yeah. home. But you're also I, very tall. I'm assuming you've been yeah. this tall since you were 18. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I thumbed the Alcan Highway. That was the worst part. The 700 mile dirt road, yeah. partly paved, partly dirt road through Canada. And I had a shotgun with me. Oh no! And um, I had uh, I was in the Boy Scouts, and I had my backpack. So the back of the shotgun is sticking out of my backpack. Uh-huh. And, um, the guy that had picked me up thumbing made me get out of his jeep and walk across the border because he didn't want to get in trouble with the gun Gun, going into canada and they of course took me in and interviewed me and and had me take out the gun and i went through the whole spiel and they uh they said you're allowed to have a gun Mm -hmm. you just can't have a pistol all right, so I don't know why they don't do pistols there or something. But Easily concealable, who knows? So every night I would, I had a hammock, and I would set my hammock up in parks. I would mm-hmm. get dropped off from thumbing, and I'd sleep in a campsite. Right. And um, a guy came up to me. I, I, this is, I reassembled my shotgun, and I'd hold my shotgun in my arms while I slept. And a guy comes up to me in the middle of the night, and he shakes me in the hammock, and he said, you can't sleep here. And I said, why not? And he said, because we don't have raccoons in this campground. We have bears. Oh, no. The bear is going to eat you. And, uh, <laughs> and you, you just can't be out. You right. just can't be out. So I slept. Um, I crawled underneath a Volkswagen bus, and they didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> so I slept underneath the Volkswagen bus, um, and... Uh, um, I also had brought a Coleman stove, and uh-huh. I was cooking myself breakfast the next day. Uh-huh. And uh, the guys uh, came out of their bus and said, "If I make them breakfast, they'll give me a ride." And they gave me a you know several hundred mile ride. Right. So you know it made things a little bit easier. Right. But uh, so I made them pancakes, and that was all it took. <laughs> but uh, you know it was it was definitely an adventure, and yeah. I definitely grew up. And uh, uh, I got back to Massachusetts, and. After a short amount of time, I decided I was going to go into uh, special forces in the Air Force. Okay. And um, and uh, para- I mean, you've already para- proved rescue. at this point you are a complete badass. So oh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I I, I did like the uh, the idea of, of the adventure. Yeah. And and um, so uh, my dad was in the Army Air Corps in World War Two. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's why I picked Air Force because that gets that got converted over from the Army Air Corps to Air Force. Right. So I respected him highly and thought that that's, that's where I should go. Do. And I got into the Air Force and I went through 
training and I got sick during my training. Uh, after they give you 20 shots, including yellow fever and everything <laughs> else, I got sick and uh, I didn't finish my training in pararescue. Oh, and they God, you're a PJ. We're trying to, we're going to be a mm -hmm. PJ. Got so it. then they, they automatically put you in a military police. Right. So I was, was still in training for military police and the honor guard came yeah. to town. Wait, you got picked up for the honor guard in training? Well, I was in training. <clears throat> People were allowed to apply. Okay. And 700 of us applied. Right. Um, and they picked 23 um, to, to be honor guard for the second inauguration, Reagan's, wow. Reagan's second inauguration. So I, um, I got picked. Got it. So I, that's what brought me to this area. Got it. And how long did you stay in? altogether total six years got it yeah okay and so whenever you got out you decided to stay which is actually exactly what happened to me i yeah. came up here i was working at the pentagon for the post 9-11 transferability process of the post 9-11 gi bill it's a mouthful <laughs> 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 and then got out and started working for the government and then ended up starting my own business and doing and you know fast forward from there but it sounds like something very similar happened you got it you stayed you right. know you had a family at that point i assume maybe i didn't have <laughs> a family yet i was uh when i came here and started as an honor guard i uh, all my buddies would go out drinking every night, and I I like having a drink, <laughs> but it, but it was He's every Irish. night was like like a little bit over the over, too much. So right. I went to Springfield Mall and I got a job at K Jewelers as a goldsmith apprentice. Stop it! So I would work as apprentice from three o'clock in the afternoon till you know they close nine or ten o'clock at night, and uh, it was really cool because we were in the basement next to J C Penney's, mm -hmm. and. Um, Princess Diana and King Charles, uh, well, Prince Charles, um, were doing a clothing um, promotion, mm -hmm. and they came in the back door and walked down the hall and walked right, right next, right by oh me. Oh my god, cool! And it was so cool to, you know, they they had all these people in front of yeah. them and behind them, and and you just stood there and but i was the only one in the hall i mean the only one that that even i didn't know they were coming but yeah. it was it was really i knew they were coming to the jc pennies but i didn't know that they were going to be cutting Near through you. my hall so yeah. we had a little room that was like a square block uh -huh. cinder blocks no windows no nothing but that was the shop where the jewelry work was done okay and um i did that for several years and then I got out of the Air Force. Yeah. And um, so this is your part time job while you're still in the honor guard. You're right. doing the part time. OK. Yeah. And I and I applied for for um, Palace Chase. OK. Are you familiar with Palace um, Chase? Yes. Right, Whenever so you go guard. Right. While I was while I was in the Air Force, I, uh -huh. I applied for Palace Chase and Palace Chase is um, chasing your dreams. If you oh. can make more than the Air Force can provide. This, so this is not what it. I thought it was. So you can, but you right. can go to the guard, right? Like that's how the transition happens. You can get off active duty, go to the guard by making more money. Right. So, so if I can make if I can make more money than the Air Force can provide, uh -huh. I uh, they will let you out. You have to go to the base commander, uh -huh. and I went to the base commander, and he laughed. He had never had anybody try Actually to get try, try to do it. Yeah. And he gave me permission. So I got out mm -hmm. early. Mm -hmm. I had a four year contract, and I got out in two years, but mm -hmm. I had to double my remaining time in the reserves. Right. So that's how I went six okay. because I went two years active duty, four years reserves. Got it. So you did ten years total service. No, no, total, no, 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 no. Two years active, active four duty. years reserves. Got it. It was supposed to be four years active. Oh, got you know, it. Okay, anyways, got so, it. Makes sense. So, and the whole time I'm, so when I got out, I was 21 years old, uh -huh. um, 
and I bought my first house at 21 years old. Good for you. And I rented rooms to my honor guard buddies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to help He's pay the mortgage. He's been for a long time, yeah. guys. <laughs> so, so, and then uh, when I decided, all right, military was done, and I still had roommates, but I wanted to uh, open the store in Occoquan. Yeah. I, I, so I signed a lease, and um, I got a, I, I had just gotten out of the Air Force. Uh-huh. And... I get a phone call. It was a, this was the best. I swear, I get a phone call. I was a newlywed. Uh huh. Now I'm a newlywed. And, <laughs> Fast uh, forward, you got out of the military and uh-huh. all this other stuff, right? And I get a phone call and I said, Airman Quinn. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> this is so and so. We would like to offer you a position. And I said, Well, I'm I'm out. Right. You know. He said, well, we can fix that. I don't want to. Fi- I don't want to fix said, that. Well, I, well, <laughs> well, I've just, you know, I just, I'm starting my own business, and it, and he said, yeah, but we have a, a position I think that you'll like. And I said, what, well, what is it? And he said, we'd like to offer you a position on Air Force One as oh. a steward. And That's amazing. I well, mean, <laughs> and you get flight pay, and you get Harris's duty, duty pay, pay. and mm-hmm. you get sign-on bonus, and you're going to get a, a three or four pay increase. So there is no airman. Uh-huh. You'll be instantly a master sergeant or, or you know you'll you'll go up so your pay structure would go up right and I was all like, the one while being in the reserve i'm assuming they're putting right. you on agr at this mm-hmm. point at least that's what they're offering you and and but it would be full-time reserve yeah right mm-hmm. and um i didn't do it i had well, i'm glad you well, didn't obviously well, I fast didn't, forward I didn't but do it because <laughs> I, I i didn't want to leave my wife yeah and i had just signed a lease and i'm sure that i hadn't even opened the store yet so I was, you know, I'm sure she would have let me out of lease yeah. as far as military is concerned, I right. would imagine, the, the landlord. But I, I had a dream and a vision. Yeah. And I just thought, you know what, this is going to change everything if I do it. So just keep going. Did you, Where did you, okay, so where did you have money from? Like you're still, you're a 21-year-old kid at this point. Who... All right, so I, 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 when I when I bought the house at 21, uh-huh. um, I didn't start the store till 89, which was like three or four years later. Uh-huh. And Real estate had gone up, and the house was worth. I could refinance it for and get about twenty five thousand dollars. Right. So that's what I did. I refinanced I am, it. I am so in love with the fact that real estate is what started your dream. Yep. Yeah. So I I I I got the house, and the uh, I went to get a loan, and and I got two or three people that turned me down. Uh-huh. And um, what happened was is that I had been told that I could get the loan, so I postdated checks and i post-dated checks to try to open the store and i post-dated honestly twenty three thousand dollars in checks because the bank had told me oh you know we'll be able to give you a loan for twenty five thousand dollars uh-huh well it came to about uh, a week before all these checks were due i didn't have no money and, <laughs> and um the assistant manager at the bank called me and said you know what um uh she she was crying and she said i'm quitting and i said what do you mean? She said, there's just so many things wrong here at the bank. And I hate to tell you this, but they've never done a thing on your loan. Oh, my God. And at this point, I'm, I'm like, I'm really having a, a meltdown. Right, of course. So I went to the bank, and the manager walked right by me and pretended she didn't even see me. And I sat there for an hour or two, and she finally calls me in her office. Uh-huh. And I go in the office, and she says, well, the bank's decided we're not giving loans right now. And, and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to jail. Right. I mean, I'm about to bounce a whole I bunch of checks. I won't even open the store and I'm going to. Okay. So so one of the guys that was helping me do the construction on the store uh-huh. knew 
this company that they charge a high interest rate. Well, hard money, it right? sounds like. But yeah. they will do a loan in 24 hours. Right. Right? So I went to them, and they said they could give me 21000 something like that. Yeah. And I said, but I have to have 23. Oh. I have to have 23 because uh-huh. I've co-signed 23000 in checks. I, I have to have 23. And he said, well, you're self-employed. There's no way we can – we can't give you – that would be a 90% loan, and we can't right. do that. And um, – and I said, well, we'll make it work. Uh-huh. I, I just do what, whatever you can. So the next day I meet with them, and we didn't get it squared away till 8 o'clock at night. And I'm like, it's getting closer and closer to those checks starting to cash. So yeah. he hands me the check after I sign my life away, and it's for $25,000. Oh, my God. And I said, you were only going to give me twenty-one, And he said... I put my neck out on the line for you to my manager, and yeah. I said that you were gonna, you were gonna do it. You were gonna make it. Man of your I, word. I, I, uh, I, I, I left a good impression. Uh huh. So the day I opened the store, um, I literally had less than a thousand dollars to my name. So to turn to turn that into a multi million dollar business, right? Year after year, year after year after year, and being been, you have a cult following. Been, very yeah. rewarding and yeah but but you know it all falls back to that what my dad said you put yeah. on earth to serve yeah so if you have that mentality you're you're supposed to help people Absolutely. and it doesn't matter whether it's ten dollars or two thousand dollars it matters how can i help you right you know? Absolutely. So, so there you go in a nutshell in a, well, <laughs> in a nutshell my behind <laughs> so i mean and that like to progress is like what quins is today is like you went and you rented the store but then you purchased the store and then you mm-hmm. expanded and now you're in stonebridge and mm-hmm. like you said a multi-million dollar incredible operation that mm-hmm. wow award-winning all that all that incredible thing so what have you done to like obviously you're still serving but what did you do back then in order to create such a reputation um you know that the funny thing in in life is, is is it's not this is a sad sad story but it's not the best jeweler that succeeds at the end of the day right it, it's the best marketer right and uh it's a good example of that is Cindy Crawford was the was the spokesperson for K jewelers in the 80s yeah when i was growing up and it wasn't that they were the best jeweler yeah i was working for k's that's how i remember that yeah but that they weren't the best jeweler but they had the best marketing mm-hmm. and you know every kiss begins, begins with, with k so, oh, you know, i know <laughs> so you know it was a great slogan and 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 it was so i had a customer that came in his his father and his wife uh mom were customers so he comes in one day and he said terry you know we have five senses you know touch smell yeah taste, taste, and, all. Yeah, tight. and he said so keeping that in mind with marketing you should try to get on on tv right do, do tv commercials mm-hmm. and it made sense to me so for 20 years i did tv commercials wow and it would be you know it would be uh you know, on everything from a promotion that we were doing for Christmas to just just on a consistent basis on maybe a dozen different channels right. on cable. And I stopped that when we got uh, so many providers. So when you had, you know, first off, I'm trying to run on a certain station, but if you didn't have Verizon or you didn't have Comcast or you didn't have this or that, it wasn't gonna you run wouldn't it. see it. Yeah. So then the ad isn't even, you know, you, you know. Is it, it still th- like that to the today? No. 
now they've merged it back. Okay. They're all merged it back. So actually, I've actually talked to somebody about doing commercials again. Yeah. But that's like throwing, throwing a line out in the in the pond as i see the water up here and hoping somebody's gonna have have some interest right so so you can new technology is youtube is doing i would YouTube say it's like if you're going to be doing that i wouldn't even mess with the facebook yeah so i do facebook live videos and yeah. um we make things at the store so whenever i make a new design uh, i typically will promote that by having it for 24 hours mm -hmm. i'll say you can buy this the first person um, will get it for free. I'm going to I'm going to give one of these pieces away for free. Uh huh. And, and this so, is not a gimmick. You're actually going to do this. No, and actually we do it, and then we do it on the video like the <laughs> next time, so people can uh -huh. see this person actually won. Yeah. And then anybody that wants to buy it, they can buy it for a half price for the next 48 hours. Uh -huh. um, and um, you know, I made this seahorse, and uh, it really looked really like a seahorse. A seahorse. And I had people from all around the United States that got told, you know, uh, about viewing it. And I had this one lady bought seven of them for, you know, because it was like, seven well, seahorses. If, if you don't get a chance to go to the ocean, uh -huh. when you wear it, it can make you have good thoughts and memories of the ocean. Okay. You know, and so she had grandchildren. Uh -huh. So she bought one for each grandchild. Oh, that's and cute. And that, that's yeah. how come it was seven. But, uh, but it, I mean, we sold over a hundred of these seahorses. Wow. Okay, and so is there a mold? Like, do you just? It's a yes. gold seahorse, so you have a mold and you just put the right. Gold. So I made the first one by hand out of a block of wax. I'm a sculptor, so you sculpt a hand oh, carver, okay. right? You're so, so cool. <laughs> I went to the Corcoran School of Art for sculpting, and, okay. and uh, so I have life-size sculptures of my children when you oh. walk in the store when they were about four and five. Yeah. But I felt like if I could make a ring, I could make something a little bigger. Right. So I've learned how to do gun engraving and stone engraving and stone sculpture and wood carving anything i could take to be a better jeweler right so i do not have a degree i went to university of maryland when uh -huh. i was active duty yeah and i've got i've had classes everywhere emporia kansas yeah um you know well it sounds like you're a consistent uh, student like you're always a, learning something yeah you want to learn to yeah. be as best as you can be but you don't need a degree yeah. to be Right. In your position. Right. Yeah. So I said, well, you know, they said at the Corcoran, it was, well, you can you can apply and get this amount of credits and it's this X amount of dollars. Or you can take the, the course without any credits and it's less than half the price. Right. So I said, well, I already have a business. Right. I don't need I to worry need about education. the credits. Yeah. So, so I took, uh, took that for several years. Uh -huh. And uh, um, at one point, my daughter was my model, uh -huh. um, and it was a nude sculpting class. So there was this beautiful nude model, uh -huh. and sometimes they weren't beautiful. There uh -huh. was, and sometimes it was men, and sometimes it was women. But, right. but she came in, and she was five, and she didn't understand nudity. Right. But she was in a bathing suit, yeah. and they allowed me, after so many years, that I could bring her in. And um, so I sculpted her. Um, with a bathing suit on, yeah. of course. And when you walk into the store, you'll see that's this, what the sculpture this, is. Right. Yeah. Oh my god! And it was a six-hour class. Yeah. That was once a week, uh -huh. and to have a five-year-old for six hours, you know, so they got a break. And after a while, you know, the the model when she would take a break, my my daughter would take a break. And right. She, the model brought a robe, so the next week my daughter had to bring a robe, and uh, you know it got to a point where well it was Easter and she's got to bring candy for the model, to, you know, yeah. and, and she'd sit down and talk to her, and the model had no interest in talking to her at all. <laughs> Poor baby, it was, well, it, was, it was very cute. Uh huh. But uh, it was great bonding time. Wow. 
for uh, for me. And you know, we'd go up to McDonald's and have dinner, mm-hmm. or go get an ice cream somewhere. And it made the six hours pass very nicely. For sure. And then to have that memory, now they're in bronze. I've casted them. Uh, I I hand sculpted them in clay. Okay. And then we had a mold made and then cast into bronze. Got it. And um, then the stone sculptor saw my work and and courted me into sto- uh, sculpting stone, stone st- sculptures. Right. So at some point when I retire, I think that that might be a direction I go in. Stones, right, you know, sculpt, or like actually doing sculpting. Yeah, I really yeah. like doing it, and yeah. uh, so, but I, when I make jewelry, it's a miniature sculpture, right? You know, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm making wearable pieces of art, right? That's exactly what it is. That's what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. So how awesome! So I'm like, there's so, like, so many questions to go from here. <laughs> uh, okay, so. You know, fast forward, you have this beautiful shop, your kid, like your family is doing well, obviously. Um, what what kind of advice would you give a brand new entrepreneur who's like, who's feeling defeated in this world? Because it was a different time back then, you know, that you were able to come in. Now there's so much competition and social media is such a lie whenever it comes to, you know, who, who people present to be. So, you know, a kid who is 18 years old, who wants to be an entrepreneur, what would, what advice would you give? Make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Okay. Can you, you expand on that a little bit? Well, you're not doing it for money. Mm-hmm. Because the first thing is you're going to work a lot harder than you would work at a regular job. And you're not making any money. Mm-hmm. For a long time, you're doing it for one, to, to, to maybe, you know, serve the people better than somebody else. Yeah. And you feel like you can, you can do that and you want to give back to society. And, and everything with giving, when you give, you know, you receive. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what they say. Right. So you give and you receive. And over time, um, we were open seven days a week for years. Mm-hmm. And, but, but I think that uh, over time now, every day it's someone's birthday or it's someone's anniversary or it's, or it's a special occasion, uh, someone's retiring or whatever. And so we have consistent business so it 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 helps us stay in business and that's a good thing but um i think that that people have to have the mentality that that they're they're doing it to better the the world right that's why if you want to better something the community um then and you're opening your own business to to make it better to make it better for everybody else right um that's what i i really recommend as far as a business Make sure your heart's you know? in the right place yeah. and that you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Tell us a little bit, you know, before we were, before we started this interview, we were talking about you want to start a uh, nonprofit. Tell the, tell yeah, the audience we, a little we, bit about that. We, um, we're members of a, a platinum organization called the Tony Robbins Platinum Group. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a group of um, self-minded business owners right. and stuff that, uh, you I know, love Tony Robbins, by the way. Tony Robbins is, is great, and mm-hmm. he has a business mastery school uh-huh. that we've gone to in Amsterdam, and we've gone to in many, many different places around the world where we've done different things. But yeah. the thing is, is that is a nonprofit that I can tutor or, or apprentice, have an apprentice or two or five or ten, that I could teach them um, this old school. And goldsmithing uh jewelry making um most of my employees are foreign 
mm-hmm. um, which which they're wonderful guys. Mm-hmm. They're they're very very nice people. Um, but Reza, who's my partner and has been with me for thirty years. Wow. Um, uh, uh, years after we started, I made him partner in the company, and um, he has he started six weeks or so after I opened. So he's been with me for, for the thirty one years. Yeah. From, uh, but now he's from Iran. Everybody knows Reza probably better than me half the time. <laughs> And he's a wonderful guy. Uh-huh. And uh, and then we've had three different guys from South America, different parts of South America. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't speak Spanish, which mm-hmm. I should, but, uh, you know, Reza, Reza knows bits and pieces. But mm-hmm. these guys are very, very good, very talented. Mm-hmm. But it's very hard to find somebody that is an American or that speaks English. English is a primary language, that yeah. Is, that can speak to the public. Like right. these guys that, that do the work, a lot of them can't speak to anybody, right? You know, as far as what are they? Are they? They're making some of the like the they're, gold. They're and all excellent the jewelers. They're Got excellent it. goldsmiths, and okay. and they'll do anything that you need done, from setting stones to soldering things. Gotcha. Did you teach um, them, or did they just come to you already, like self-taught, or no? We buy. We not buy. We um, you know we interview them gotcha. and we give them like a a test where yeah. we say, okay, size these rings, mm-hmm. set these stones. And and if they pass, then then we're good to go until we decide they're not worthy. Gotcha. And uh, you know, my mom would always say, "That person's not Quinn's quality." <laughs> oh no, <You> know? mom! <laughs> you know anything from the way they dressed? Yeah. She said, "You know, if you don't look nice, how could I want to leave my jewelry with you?" Uh, it's a valid so question. You have to have to look look the part. Yeah. You know, you know. I mean, I like wearing jeans like anybody else, but we don't wear jeans at work, and it's right. just because it's out of respect. Right. You know, so. Um, well, jewelry is a luxury item yeah. and has a lot of emotional value to it. So yeah. understood. Right. But these guys are great. But but it would be great to apprentice somebody and for them to understand. You know, the technology now. Mm-hmm. You know, using CAD, three um, D CAD machines, uh, and. I have three laser machines. Now, most many, many jewelers don't have any laser machines. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have a laser that I can pinpoint 6,000 degrees while I'm holding it in my fingers with no gloves on or anything. Well, 30 but, years in the business. But, yeah. but it's, it's, it's such a fine um, laser beam. It's just a, 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 like it just shoots out for a pop for like mm-hmm. a, a quick second. So if I hit it three or four or five times, it gets really hot really fast. Yeah. But if you're just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, and then it's done, well, now I've soldered on a prong mm-hmm. right on top of an emerald, and I didn't break the emerald. Right. In the old days, you'd have to take, if it had five emeralds in the ring, you'd have to take all mm. the emeralds out to fix one prong and then reset all the emeralds. Oh, that's a lot of time. And a lot of time and a lot of money. And the risk of those prongs breaking, opening up, and closing and everything. Yeah. So you're able to do things, the newer technology, that, that you weren't able to do. Mm-hmm. But um, there's, you know, having a, a trade, you know, an electrician or a plumber or, you know, the, the different handyman or right. construction, you know, it's hard to find. You know, when yeah. I need a good electrician, it's hard to find, even though we've used them many times, you know, well, I can come in three weeks. Right. Well, that should tell you, you know, there's a need. And if there's a need, that's good money. Right. And, you know, and, and you, you feel rewarded. You feel like you're, you're contributing to the society. I was going to ask, like, how would you, because I, I don't know if I don't know of a school that offers goldsmithing as like a trade program, or do you just have to befriend somebody like you and like get them to tr- teach you the trade? Like, how would that work? 
Well, this this talk about a nonprofit. I would I would probably set up something like a classroom and try to do it once or twice a week. God. And I have a um, ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ulterior motive is I'm trying to create my own line that I would like to put online right. and sell na- nationally. Right. So. Like I Neil could, Lane did? Yeah, oh, that okay. kind of thing. Yeah. Right, right. So I've got a tremendous amount of pieces that I've made, and we we have a lot of stuff in the cases. But yeah. if I had um, an entire line of, say, bridal pieces or wedding mm-hmm. bands or pendants or earrings, then, you know, once I get this certain amount, and I may have that already, mm-hmm. um, but it's always good to add to it. Right. And and so when I'm giving a demonstration and showing how people how to do it, my hope is, is that I'll be able to work on things that I want to work on right instead of right now I'm doing things for others yeah and and that pays the bills right but it makes it very difficult to do my pieces right so I I say well I'm going to get three pieces done this month and in the end of the year I might have gotten three pieces done done. by the entire year yeah (laughs) you know my god okay so I think by teaching it it's also you know makes you better person mm-hmm. and makes things come back to your mind and how to do things or yeah. how to share things. But there are things that like, you know, Reza and I will have to talk and say, what's the best way to tackle this project? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so part of it is, is the, is the, the learning. Once you learn, you have to use a torch and you have to know the angle of that torch. And if your angle is off, you might saw to the bottom of the ring, but you melted the prongs. Right. Well, you have to fix it. If you melted it, you better fix it. And you've got to know how to do that. And and so if you had changed the angle of the torch, it mm-hmm. may not have happened in the first place. Right. So there's a lot of uh, nuances lot of to it. things yeah. that you have to learn, you know. But How incredible. Time. Wow. Terry, I could sit here and talk to you all day. You are a fascinating person, and everything that you've built is even more incredible. So just to tell you my first experience with Quinn's is I – I'm from South Carolina originally. I get up here and I'm here for maybe a week. And my dad always had friends in, in the business. And so anytime I needed a ring resized or anytime that I needed something resoldered or I broke a chain or any of that, he would always take it to his friends. And so whenever I left there, I needed to find somebody locally so I didn't have to keep shipping my stuff back home. So I was here for maybe a week. I was talking to my neighbor in my apartment complex in Alexandria. And she said, oh, you should just go see, see Terry down at Quinn's at Occoquan. And I'm like, okay, cool. And that was the first time that I ever saw your shop. And then years later, whenever my aunt passed away, and I got all of her jewelry I came and saw you guys again and you did all the ring resizing and it was it was such an emotional thing for me to even let go because right. it was a tragic situation so I thank you for being who you are and being a pillar of the community uh, for so long um, and especially for somebody who came and from South Carolina to here to be able to be treated like family from the time you walk in the door that's special and what you've thank built you. is very special so thank you very yeah much. so tell our listeners exactly how they can find you i mean you've got it feels like 100 million followers on facebook out there so you've done a good uh, job with that we it's fun you know mm-hmm. so i do a facebook live videos mm-hmm. and uh just to, we show people how we make things yeah or i'll show different designs and i'll say hey you know which one do you want me to make i'm going to make you know i've got this emerald and i'm going to make uh, these four pieces. Mm-hmm. So pick which one you like the best, and whichever one gets voted on, that's the one I, I make. And then I'll say, do you want to see it in white gold or yellow gold or two tone? And they all vote. And then I make it in two tone. It was crazy I did. I mean, <laughs> and then uh, you know, so then when the piece comes alive, it's fun because people come in and they want to just see it yeah. and just see what you know what was made. But um, we're in Stonebridge. Uh huh. What's that address? Shopping center. 
And it's, it's uh, 14709 Potomac Town Place. And we're next to the, um, the Orvis store. Got it. And, you know, so if you pulled in to go to Wegmans, um, we're, we're right around the corner. You can see your sign from the back, from the back whenever you pull in. Yeah. And you're on Facebook, so just Quinn's Goldsmith. You yeah. can search that. And then are you on Instagram? Instagram. Or? We have a, a, a marketing person that is just, we've had marketing people come and go. Um, but we have one that is starting now that hopefully we'll get more on Instagram because I, I realize that that is more um, popular uh, than, than, you know, as far as images is concerned. So gotcha. I'm not technical. I, the most I do on a computer is an email. So, you know, right. so, but I do like marketing. I mm -hmm. think the challenge, you know, every time if business slows down, the first thing I do is say it's, it's my fault mm -hmm. and it's my fault because, because I should have used my brain and think what could I have done better. And even if I do something good, you're supposed to think, what could I do better? How can I be better than that? Right. Because there's always somebody better than you. That is a key to your success right there as for you recognizing that. So, yeah. How incredible. So. Well, again, Terry, thank you so much for your time. Listeners, please go see him. Go see his incredible shop and all the cool stuff. He's won so many different awards. It's like the crown jewels in that place whenever you see some of these awards that you've, that you've yeah. done. So, um, yeah, reach out. Come see him. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I wanted to touch back on something that Terry mentioned earlier in this interview, and that was where he was able to source the money to open his first store in Occoquan. That source was the equity from his first home. On average, real estate appreciates between 3 and 4% annually. This is the most common source of transferring wealth among family. Equity in real estate can be directly responsible for sending kids to college debt-free, may I add, for helping pay for elderly parents' care later in life, and in cases like Terry starting a journey with a successful business where he was able to not only build a beautiful life for his family, but also provide jobs for others so that they could support theirs. If you're interested in exploring home ownership, please give me a call. Our team at Easton Ivy would be honored to help you begin or continue your wealth building journey by purchasing your next home. We can be reached directly at 571-308-2902.